0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, "Eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. From MPB Think Radio, you're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today we're gonna be tackling all the the sniffles that we have going on this time of the year. I'm affectionately terming this show, name that sniffle, because that is a a big bunch of questions that I get this time of the year is do I need to go to the doctor? Do I need an antibiotic? All these different kinds of things. So we're gonna break down all the things that can be causing you to have um, cold type symptoms and what we need to do about it, including some home remedies that have good science behind them as well. If you have a question or a comment for us, you can always email us fit at mpbonline.org. All right, so there's lots of stuff that can cause the symptoms that we typically associate with this time of the year, like runny nose, coughing, sneezing, those types of things. And and not all of them require a visit to your healthcare provider or a prescription. Um, but we're gonna go over all of those and how, you know, some of the the differing characteristics of those and when you might need to to give us a call. Um, there, Some of the ones we're going to talk about allergies are what we call allergic rhinitis, which is just the fancy medical word for for allergies, and in particular, seasonal allergies. Um, another group that we call URIs, which are upper respiratory infections, um, and that's things like colds, flu, COVID, those kind of all get bundled into those. Pharyngitis, which is a fancy name for sore throat or irritation of the, the throat sinusitis which we're probably most familiar with um, when we talk about sinus infections and then pneumonia. So we're going to try to get to all of those today but if you have a question about any of those in particular I'm happy to talk with you about them today. So we'll start with allergies or allergic rhinitis which um, is also affectionately called hay fever although that can sometimes be confusing to folks because there's not actually fever associated with um, with allergies or with allergic rhinitis. It was kind of called that because it was a sickness that kind of came on um, in response to when hay was cut and those kinds of things because it is pollen related largely. Um, But allergic rhinitis is not in fact an infection so there's not um, a germ per se that is causing an infection and when we talk about infections we're usually especially for today's show going to kind of lump those things into viral illnesses and bacterial illnesses but allergies or allergic rhinitis is not an infection so to speak so there's not a virus or a bacteria that's driving this it is the body's immune system responding to an allergen. And there are tons of different allergens that are out there for different folks. Some of the more common ones are going to be pollen. Um, So we see that a lot at the change of the seasons, in particular the spring we see it a lot. That's because that's uh, when the plants are... um, kind of re-emerging from their, their winter hibernation so that they're starting to put out more buds and have more pollen floating around in the air. Um, and that, it can be to multiple different types of pollen. It can be to tree pollen, to grass, to other particular types of, uh, of plant life that we have um, pollen allergies to. We can also have allergies to pet dander, um, so just pet fur and the kind of little um, microscopic particles that hang on to their fur. Uh, Dust is another one, um, as well as things like mold and and other kind of household exposures that we can have some um, kind of responses to. And... You can actually even have allergies almost to the to weather change, and I hear that every year people will be like well you know it's it 's hot in the morning and or cold in the morning hot in the afternoon, which is the pattern we have going on right now um, it 's you know pretty pretty chilly when you get in the car in the morning and then hot in the afternoon and it 's not necessarily just the change in temperature that is triggering some folks allergies it's more a change in the barometric pressure um, that is triggering some of these things in particular when cold fronts are coming through usually those blow through with a storm uh, the day before a cold front Uh, we've had one pretty recently here and that brings with it Uh, rain and then also wind and that wind can stir up any pollen that's hanging around those types of things so that's one of the reasons also the change in pressure if you've got um, asthma can trigger um, and kind of a a flare-up of your asthma so there's not a kind of a one-size-fits-all everybody's allergic to the same thing Uh, there are lots of different allergens out there but What happens is when we get exposed to that particular um, trigger, whichever it is for us, you have little tiny blood vessels in your respiratory tract. And in particular, I'm talking about in our nose um, and around our eyes, that type of area. And those little tiny blood vessels, they kind of dilate or they get a little bit bigger. And that's kind of to deliver different, different nutrients and different chemicals around the body. And they also get a little bit leaky during that time. So they start to, to leak out some things, and it's the clear fluid that comes out, which is one of the reasons why our nose feels puffy on the inside. It's because those vessels have dilated and the tissues get get fluffy and puffy in there. And then that's why you also have that drip that you kind of feel like you can't get rid of when you have um allergies going on because those those capillaries those little blood vessels are kind of leaky and so you have that post nasal drip that may drip down the back of your throat or it may drip out the front of your nose or both right that's also why we'll get kind of watery itchy eyes the same deal is going on there Um, but what you shouldn't have with allergies is fever right so that is kind of one of those defining characteristics we look at when we're deciding whether um, this needs to be treated with anything is is there a presence of fever and so allergies should not have a fever yes you should have a stuffy nose a runny nose sneezing um, even a little bit of a cough sometimes not always but usually if you have a cough it's because of that post-nasal drip I was talking about it's kind of dripping down the back of your throat and giving you some irritation back there and that's making making you have that cough. People often describe it as they're feeling like a tickle in the back of their throat or like they need to constantly clear their throat and it's because of that that fluid that's dripping down back there. So yes, stuffy runny nose, yes, sneezing, sore throat as well can happen. But again, it's more of a scratchy throat um, and usually associated with that post-nasal drip. So one of the questions I always ask folks when they say, well, I have a sore throat. I say, well, do you feel snot running down the back of your throat? And if you do, then that's often a kind of a marker that that's what's causing the sore throat versus some other things going on. No fever usually not like achiness. And if you've ever had the flu, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, those muscle aches, joint aches that are associated with that. Allergies generally do not give you that type of muscle or joint ache. They can make you feel tired, but not excessively exhausted. Um, And they shouldn't cause chest pain or chest discomfort, and we don't need an antibiotic for these, okay? Now, we'll talk about when an antibiotic might be appropriate um, in a little bit, but for regular old seasonal allergies or allergic rhinitis, we do not need an antibiotic. So what do we need? Because we don't feel good, right? So we want to treat the symptoms. So symptom treatment usually is going to be an antihistamine, OK, so what do I mean by antihistamines? Well, there are older antihistamines and newer antihistamines. The older one that everybody's probably real familiar with is Benadryl, right, or diphenhydramine. Um, that one tends to make people drowsy and usually has to be dosed um repetitively during the day as well. So not the best choice if you've got to be up and about and doing anything productive. Um, The newer ones like a Zyrtec or Claritin, uh, which is um, loratadine would be one of the generic names for that. Those are generally considered non drowsy. Now, every single human is different, right? So if you've never taken one of those medicines before, don't take one and then Go to an important meeting, right, or get behind the wheel of a car. You want to take that first dose so that you can see how you're going to uh, do and respond to those different kinds of things. Now, there are groups, a group, couple groups of folks who anti- antihistamines are not a great option for, and that's people with glaucoma and people with urinary retention, in particular um, like a prostate enlargement that keeps you from being able to pee well. Antihistamines can make both of those things worse, okay? Sometimes we want to do decongestants when we have allergies because we're trying to shrink that swelling down that's in our nose, okay? Um, And that's usually when it says whatever medicine slash D on it. That usually means it has a decongestant in it, um, like Mucinex D. That D is a decongestant. Um, Those can work well for kind of shrinking that swelling in the nose. But if you've got heart disease or high blood pressure, it can actually increase the work of your heart a little bit, put a little extra strain on there, and elevate your blood pressure. Um, So those are not necessarily um, a, a great drug for everyone either and then we've got two additional ones uh, nasal steroids like Flonase and nasal saline and we're talking about the sniffles today in particular all the different types of things that can give you symptoms like runny nose coughing sneezing those types of things and when you might need to go see your healthcare provider when you might need an antibiotic and when you don't as well as some alternative strategies for helping uh, with symptom control. All right, we've been talking about allergies or allergic rhinitis and before the show, uh, before the break I talked a little bit about um, antihistamines and decongestants and how those can have a role in in treating the symptoms of allergic rhinitis. But I talked about a couple of groups of folks that those might not be um, appropriate for. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, nasal steroids. So I know the word steroid can often... Um, People go, what? What are you wanting me to squirt up my nose? But in this particular case, we're talking about corticosteroids um, and not an oral form. So a lot of people are familiar with an injectable, like a, a, um, a decadron shot. People often talk about getting when they're not feeling well, as well as oral steroids like prednisone. Um, those are uh, are medicines that can be used to kind of um, help decrease inflammation. But a nasal steroid is being delivered right to the tissues that were wanting to calm down. So right to the nasal tissue on the inside of your nose to help decrease that Inflammation and irritation that's going on in there helps shut down kind of that um, inflammatory response that's happening that makes that those tissues swell and get leaky, right? Which I already talked about is why we get the stuffiness and the drippiness that's associated with um, with allergies. So you used to could only get nasal steroid spray uh, via prescription, but you can get them over the counter now. Probably the most um, Common one, or the one that you might be familiar with, is FloNase uh, would be one of the over-the-counter options in terms of nasal steroid sprays, and these can be used for adults or for children. Um, usually, the cutoff for kiddos is over um, the age of four to six on those, unless directed by your healthcare provider otherwise. Um, but the way these are are used, and if you know you have Uh, allergies the same time every year Um, it's best to kind of start these before your allergies get kicked up because it can take a couple days to up to two weeks for these to start to provide um, really good relief Um, but they do kind of have to build up a little bit in your system to start to have to work Um, the way that you use these is directly related to how successful they are because I've seen all different ways of using these sprays and uh, there are some incorrect ways to do it Um, A lot of times when we're not feeling good and we go to use one of these sprays, we may just stick it up our nose and go, right? But if your nose is full of mucus, right, if it's got a lot of drainage in there and those types of things... That's kind of a barrier to getting the medicine to the actual tissue of the nose where we want it to be so that it can work. So I always recommend kind of blowing your nose before you use one of these sprays to try and clear out any of that excess mucus that's in there. Um, And then we want to make sure we shake the product good. We also want to test and make sure that there's medicine coming out of the out of the sprayer, Um, because if it's not a new bottle, if you've been using it, sometimes the little the little pinhole on the top can get kind of clogged up with things and it it doesn't squirt anything out. And that, again, is defeating the purpose. So, um, you know, I usually recommend you kind of uh, depress the little plunger on there a couple of times until you see mist start to come out the top. If you've done it. Um, several times usually four or five times and there's no mist coming out of the top then it may mean either it's empty or it's clogged up and that that top will actually come off it's like on the naze, it's a little white uh, cap that will come off and you can kind of soak it in some warm water to try and get that loosened up don't it resist the urge to take a sharp object and try and stick it down in that little hole and okay? because you can actually Damage that and make the hole too big, and you get kind of a, a more forceful um, spray than than you really need the next time. So soaking it in some warm water, letting it dry, um, is a good way to to kind of unclog that. Then after you've blown your nose and you're ready to administer that, when you when you place it in your nose, try not to angle it toward the the what we call the septum, which is the the divider between the left side of your nose and the right side of your nose. We don't want to be squirting that steroid directly onto that tissue right there. It's not kind of the site that we're looking for in terms of action, and it can actually do some irritation um, and kind of erosion to that mucosa. So we want to kind of not point it toward the middle of our nose there. Um, And then, you know, depress it gently, take a deep breath in, and then breathe out through your mouth. And then follow directions in terms of how many puffs or squirts you're supposed to have and how often you're supposed to do that. Um, while it is over the counter, if you've listened to this show um, before, you know that I always recommend anytime you're adding a medication to your individual regimen that you do, talk to your healthcare provider before you do that to make sure there's not any um, contraindications to you starting that medication or using that medication. Just because things are over the counter doesn't mean they don't or can't interact with other medications that you're on, just like I talked about uh, with the antihistamines and and, you know, if you've got urinary retention, those can be a problem. So always run that by uh, by your healthcare provider there. And then one of the most underutilized uh, things in terms of helping to clear out secretions in your nose is just nasal saline spray. Um, it helps to thin any mucus that's in there, help you get it out um, in terms of Um, blowing your nose, keep the nasal passages nice and clear. There are kind of squirt forms and spray forms. I really um, like the spray form. It just tends to not be so Kind of jarring when you squirt that up your nose, as well as um, the mist kind of coats the entire inside of your nose instead of just um, kind of a stream out there. And I I use the one from the little baby section called Little Noses because it's nice and gentle there. Um, they make some that have fragrance. Don't do that. Um, that is never a good idea, especially if we're trying to treat allergies, you may be allergic to that irritant that you just squirt up your nose. So um, an unscented uh, nasal kind of saline spray is a a good option for keeping the inside of your nose nice and, and, and moist and helping to clear out some of those secretions. All right. And then of course, prevention is always the best key. So looking at ways to decrease those triggers or allergens in your house to help prevent the development of allergies. Um, In the summer, if we are able to use air conditioner instead of opening the windows and the doors, that can be a good strategy because when we open the windows and the doors, everything blows in and brings pollen in that way. Um, replacing your filters in your air conditioner, um, putting a HEPA filter in there if you have the capability to do that, or putting in, you know, portable kind of air purifiers or air filters that help pull some of the the pet dander and and pollen out of the air, Um, washing your bedding, Every week, and changing your sheets weekly uh, and drying them in a dryer instead of drying them outside on the line, if that is at all possible for you. There, Um, if you got little kiddos and they're staying, you know, stuffed up with allergies, think about how many stuffed animals they may have in the bed with them, those types of things, because they can hold on to dust and dander and that kind of stuff, Um, and then. If you've been outside playing around um, or gardening or any of those different types of things, make sure you change those clothes before you flop down on your bed and get in there. Um, taking, If you've got really bad allergies, consider taking a shower before you get in the bed and try to get all that pollen and things, um, things off. All right, I think that's about it for allergies, but we do have a caller on the line. So we will go say good morning to Joe. Good morning, Joe. Good How morning. can I help you? good morning i have a it's off topic that's uh, all right quick question about uh shingles vaccine yes i i'm 66 i do not know that i ever had chicken pop Mm -hmm. and so should i go ahead and get the shingles vaccine anyway yep okay thank you (laughs) That was a, a short answer, but yes, it is recommended for folks, even if they don't remember uh, whether they had chickenpox or not. Um, sh- the shingles vaccine is a two-dose series as well, um, so one dose and then the second dose is between two and six months after the next one. It can make you feel a little crummy. Um, it's a you know it, it causes a little bit of muscle ache and then just general kind of overall body aches and not feeling great. Um, so if you can schedule it when you know you don't have something super important the next day, that'll just make you feel a little bit. Bit better. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. You have a great rest of your day. You too. All Bye. right. All right. So, after we leave kind of talking about allergies, the next step we go is to infections. And when we talk about infections, it's usually going to be viral or bacterial. And the vast majority of anything that makes us um, sick in terms of coughing, sneezing, you know, uh, sore throat, those are going to be viral in nature, right? Or at least start out that way. And I'll talk about what that means in, in a minute, but, um, colds are viral. The flu is viral. COVID is viral, right? RSV, which we've started to hear more and more about in the, the media, um, lately is viral. And so all of those medi- uh, disorders or infections start out from a viral process, which by its nature does not require an antibiotic, okay? I know it's kind of when you're sick, when your kids are sick, you want something just right now to make people feel, to make you feel better, right? But at the beginning stages of all of these things, antibiotics are just not indicated and can actually make things worse, where we start to see um, more antibiotic resistant pathogens out there where we the medicines that we've used for years won't cover them anymore because they were kind of overused so let's talk about the difference between a cold the flu covid those types of things Um, they all cause kind of a similar set of symptoms right achiness This is where we see more of that joint ache, that muscle ache. If you've ever had that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For me, it just feels like I'm uncomfortable in my skin, like like I just need to move around or like I need to stretch. Um, And it can become quite severe in terms of the the achiness. You also have a pretty fair amount of fatigue where you just don't feel like doing anything. Um, Nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, sore throat, cough, all three Colds, flu, COVID, all have those symptoms in common. Um, some differentiating things is that, of course, the flu and COVID tend to be a little bit more severe in terms of their symptomatology. Although we've learned over the past two years that COVID can be very, very variable between person to where folks don't have any symptoms at all to where they have just a, just typical cold-like symptoms or where they have um, significantly more severe symptoms there. Um, but fever is much more likely with the flu or COVID, much less likely with a cold In adults, let me let me preface that little kiddos, sometimes will run a fever um, with a cold, um, but again, less, less common, but the flu and COVID um, in adults much more likely to cause uh, cause a fever. So when we have these types of symptoms one of the best strategies is to try and figure out what we have, right? So there are home-based testing kits, of course, for COVID. Um, if you don't have access to those or you don't know how to do it or any of those kinds of things, your healthcare provider should also have that available. And just because your COVID test is negative does not mean you are free to move about the cabin, right? So if you are running fever and you have um, symptoms, it's best to stay home until you're fever-free, for 24 hours without medication that makes your fever go down. So things like Tylenol or ibuprofen, right? those are the two big, biggest kind of groups of what we call antipyretics, which are medicines that make you not have a fever, um, before you return to work or school. okay? Right? Um, because we've got so many different kind of pathogens going around right now. You've got the regular cold viruses, which is not just one virus that causes the cold. There are tons and tons of viruses that cause what we call the common cold and the symptoms associated with that. There's the flu, there's COVID and there's RSV. So if you're not feeling well and you're running fever, it's best to stay home if at all possible and not return until you're fever free again without medication for 24 hours. If you do have uh, the flu Or COVID or a cold, a lot of the ways we treat that are very, very similar because it's going to be targeting the symptoms and how we relieve some of the uncomfortable symptoms that occur with all of those infections. And we've been talking about the sniffles today and all the different things out there that can give us symptoms of an upper respiratory tract infection, and when we might need to go to the doctor, when we might need antibiotics, and what we can do um, to help with the symptomatic control of those things. If you have a question or a comment for us, you can always email us fit at mpbonline.org. We were talking about the cold versus the flu versus COVID. And so there are several strategies we can use, of course, to prevent those. Uh, The first one is going to be good old hand washing, right? Um, And what we call cough and sneeze etiquette. So uh, cough into your elbow, That is where the germs go, okay? Um, Is the song that I taught my kids, and we still sing it. Um, What I see happen a lot is people cough and sneeze directly into their hands and then touch all over the things, um, which is transferring, especially if it's uh, wet, transferring those kind of wet particles to different things that somebody then can pick up on. If you slip up and cough into your your hand directly, go ahead and give your hands a wash. Use some alcohol-based hand sanitizer before you touch on things. Um, But coughing into a tissue or into your sleeve or elbow is a good strategy there. Again, that frequent hand washing if you're using soap and water, which I would absolutely recommend as the the preferred method, especially if your hands are visibly contaminated with something. Um, Warm water with soap. Not hot, not cold, but warm with soap. Lather and get between all the spots um, underneath your fingernails, around your cuticles, in between your fingers, and then dry really well. And um, but if you're using alcohol based hand sanitizer, that is fine um, as well, especially if that's your only option. There, um, while there is no vaccine um, for the common cold, and in particular one of the reasons for that is there are so many different viruses that cause the common cold symptoms, there is vaccination for um, influenza and for COVID. And so if you have not gotten your updated COVID booster or your primary um, series, or if you've not gotten your seasonal influenza vaccine, now is the time. Um, I know a lot of folks um, wait until over in November to uh, begin getting their seasonal flu vaccine because they want it to kind of last through the peak months of of the flu season but we are seeing a big old push in flu right now. Um, lots and lots of folks out with the flu and high community spread of the flu. So now is the time to go ahead and get that seasonal flu vaccine. If, um, if you've been on the fence about whether it's time to get it or not, it is. Remember, it takes up to two weeks for the full um, protection of that flu shot to, um, to occur. The COVID vaccine, of course, there is the updated bivalent booster um, that is available uh, two months after the last uh, after your last booster injection. You are eligible for uh, for that covid uh, booster all right what about the symptoms right one of the most annoying symptoms of uh, a cold the flu uh, covid is that nasal stuffiness and that congestion there um, we talked about some different strategies uh, with allergies but i want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, cough and cold medications um, that are often Targeted toward the symptoms. They're marketed really well um, and it'll say, you know, whatever the brand name is, flu or whatever the brand name is, cough and cold. And those can be appropriate, but I want to make sure that you're paying attention to what is in those medications because those are combo cough and cold medications, right? And the most common ones will usually have some type of pain reliever or antipyretic for fever-reducing medication in it, like Tylenol, which is acetaminophen, or ibuprofen. And then they usually also have um, an antihistamine, a decongestant, and then they may or may not have a cough um, cough suppressant or um, kind of mucus thinning medication in there. Um, so I always try and match the medicines that we're using to what symptoms we have, right? If we don't need nasal decongestion, then there's not a need to take a nasal decongestant, all right? If we're not running fever um, and we're not aching too much, then there's not a need to have a combo med that has ibuprofen or Tylenol in it, right? In particular, what I see happen a lot of times with folks is they'll take these combination cough and cold medications and then also take a dose of Tylenol or ibuprofen on top of that and those that can lead to too much Tylenol or too much ibuprofen on board which can you know be detrimental to um to your health if you've got kidney issues or liver issues those types of things um also Thinking about um, if you're not coughing and we don't want a preparation that has um, cough medication in it. So just think about what symptoms you do have, and it may be better to have um, two separate medications that are targeting the symptoms that you have versus just a a, a multi-combination cough and cold medication that is is kind of overkill in terms of what your symptoms are there. Um, One of the best treatments is just uh, hydration, and that involves drinking fluids, but it also involves hydrating those nasal passages um, and irrigating out the gunk that's in there. Um, Neti pots are um, a strategy that have become much more popular. Um, I actually prefer the sinus bottle over the neti pot, just I find it easier to use and easier to clean um, than the neti pot. Um, but those can be purchased over the counter and used to you actually irrigate through one side of your nose and the stuff comes out the other side. And that can be, um, you know, whether it's pollen or debris or mucus um, to kind of help clear out the the passageway there. Now, there are some safety considerations when you're using a neti pot versus um, one of the sinus uh, rinse bottles. The first is that you use, uh, you don't share those between family members. OK, one device for each person. Um, Also that you use distilled um, water. We don't want to use just straight tap water. If you're using water from the tap, it needs to be boiled and cooled. Um, uh, When you... You're able to drink water that may have, you know, different things in it, but the stomach acid is going to take care of that. But if you've got a stuffy nose and you squirt water up there that's contaminated with anything, it's, it's very hard for that to, to drain appropriately and may, may cause more of an infection. So, um, boiled and chilled um, tap water, well, not chilled, boiled and cooled down tap water or bottled distilled water. Um, and then most of these neti pots or um, sinus bottles will come with the saline packet to put in there. Um, I do recommend using those instead of just adding salt um, like table salt to your preparation because there's also some other buffering agents in that little packet that will keep it from burning um, and being really uncomfortable when you irrigate um, through that way. And then the second is if you're if you're using this on a child they do make um, kind of pediatric sinus rinse bottles that have less pressure so that we're not putting so much pressure through, um, through the nasal passages and through the nasal cavity there. Um, but they can be great for helping to clean stuff out and clear out some of the gunk and giving you some, um, symptomatic relief from um, the pressure and congestion that you have, um, in your nose. So again, um, not plain tap water, um, usually recommend the, um, commercialized packet that comes with it in terms of how it's it's balanced Um, and then don't share devices between family members and make sure that you clean those devices really really good between use take them all apart um, and let them dry completely wash them clean them and let them dry completely before um, before the next use there you're listening to southern remedy healthy and fit on mpb think radio i'm josie bidwell associate professor of preventive medicine at ummc and we've been talking about all the things that cause sniffles this time of the year and when you might need to go to your healthcare provider when you might need antibiotics Etc. Um, we've largely talked about viral things or things that don't require antibiotics up until this point. In the last segment of the show, I want to kind of switch and talk about when an antibiotic might be indicated, and I'll say might. Okay, um, this is going to be when you want to uh, really communicate with your healthcare provider. Um, but sore throats, okay, are what we call pharyngitis in the adult population. actually in the entire population, the vast majority of them are still going to be viral, okay, meaning they don't need an antibiotic. Um, In school-aged kiddos, um, strep, throat is much more prevalent and so um, you have, have a little bit higher degree of suspicion that it might be uh, strep with with kiddos um, but adults can get strep throat as well and strep throat does require antibiotics so not every sore throat requires antibiotics but there are some some symptoms that kind of point to whether this might be viral or whether we might have something like strep throat and so a viral sore throat is usually associated with all these other symptoms that we've been talking about the runny nose the post nasal drip the cough um, the nasal congestion um, the sneezing those types of things um, are going to be associated with more of a viral pathology which again does not need antibiotics um, strep throat usually presents much more with a kind of rapid onset of sore throat, whereas with a cold, you kind of you like you are like, oh, my throat feels a little scratchy. You know, everybody knows that feeling. You're like, oh, I'm not going to feel good tomorrow when I wake up. I'm not going to feel good. Right. That's kind of different from strep throat. Most folks like the, the sore throat starts pretty abruptly whereas you might have been feeling fine this morning and then this afternoon you're like oh dang my throat hurts real bad Um, it usually um, also can cause um, fever um, associated with that not feeling well at all kind of that fatigue that achiness sometimes Um, classically you'll see Um, the white spots on people's tonsils so in the back of their throat you'll see some of those white um, splotchy areas those pustules back there swollen lymph nodes as well um, in your neck and um, in kids in particular uh, what we call halitosis which is bad breath there's a very specific uh, odor that that strep throat can have so all of those kind of constellations together especially in the absence of any other kind of upper respiratory symptom like runny nose coughing, and sneezing um, gives us a little bit higher degree of suspicion that it could be strep throat um, and that usually does that strep throat does require an antibiotic but diagnosis is important so you would need to see your healthcare provider so we can swab your throat and check and see um, if we've got strep going on there um, and then the appropriate antibiotic for that um, one final thing i like to remind folks is is that you are still contagious with strep for 24 hours after you start antibiotics. So once you start them, you still need to isolate and stay home for 24 hours and then change your toothbrush, okay, which is something a lot of people don't think about. But after that 24 hours of being on antibiotics or if you got the shot um, 24 hours after that, um, go ahead and and get rid of that toothbrush and get you you a new one there. That way we don't kind of keep reinfecting uh, with that type of thing. And of course, not sharing towels and other um, drinking glasses uh, with other members of the family. All right. What if you start out with a cold and you just don't get better and symptoms just progress and get worse? Well, that could mean a secondary infection. So I talked about the cold, flu, COVID, all of those things being viral and not needing antibiotics. They also set up your body um, as a lovely place for bacteria to develop because everything stays moist right and it's harder to clear out right our nose is swollen so it's harder to get all the mucus out if we're coughing we're not able to cough all that stuff up or we're not moving around good and getting those secretions cleared it, you, it can set up the kind of perfect storm for getting what we call a secondary bacterial infection which can be a sinus infection it can be Ear infection, especially in the little kiddos, um, and uh, or pneumonia. Uh, so, one of the things we look for is how long have the symptoms been going on. Most colds and the flu, um, the bulk of those symptoms last about a week, right? And pretty predictable trajectory. Meaning, the first day you don't you don't feel super great, but you're not terrible. Then the next day, you really start to not feel good. Then by day three or four, you're miserable. Right. And then day five, you're like, "Mm, I think I might be getting better. And then day six or seven, the symptoms are usually starting to resolve. Now, you may have a lingering sniffle or or cough for another week or so. But by and large, that's kind of the the way things go. if we get to that over the hump part and we're starting to feel better and then we start to feel bad again, right? Like, so the cough was getting better, but now it's returned and it's worse and it's more productive and maybe it's different colors and has streaks of blood in it, all those different kinds of things. Or the nasal congestion was getting better and now it's worse and you've got um, headache and facial pain and tooth pain and ear pain, all of those different types of things can indicate that perhaps there's a secondary infection going on in there. Um, so usually if symptoms are lasting more than seven to 10 days or if they are getting worse instead of getting better or or they got better and then they have returned, all of those should prompt a call to your healthcare provider to discuss um, discuss your kind of disease course and whether you need an antibiotic or not. Um, and that's that's when it's appropriate. So that's one of those reasons. Now, a lot of times I'll hear people say, well, I always get an antibiotic and I always feel better. Well, if we think about that nat- that natural trajectory of the disease that I just talked about, it just coincides with you getting better, on your own the majority of the time. It's just kind of coincidence almost. Um, usually folks that have a, a cold don't come into their healthcare provider's office until that day three or four when they're feeling like stink. Um, and then if you happen to get an antibiotic at that point in time, you know, after a day or two of that antibiotic, you're now on day five or six of it, and you should be feeling better, right? So that is often one of the reasons why we associate um, an antibiotic with making us feel better. Um, there are also one of the more common antibiotics out there is ZPAC. I know lots of folks have been on a pack before, and it has some anti-inflammatory properties to it as well, which is often why it makes us feel better um, in the short term, but is usually not indicated. Again, um, thinking about how long your symptoms have been going on, right and whether they're have continued to just get bad or whether they are uh, got better and are now getting worse again some danger signs that you should just go on and go to the hospital would be if you have difficulty breathing you have significant chest pain if you're not able to tolerate anything by mouth like you can't swallow you're not drinking you're not eating um And, you know, a headache that's different from any headache you've ever had before. Those are all things that should prompt you to go on and go see your healthcare provider and get taken care of. I know it can be confusing. If you didn't get your question in today, I know we had a little bit of difficulty with the the phone lines earlier on in the show. Please send me an email. I'm happy to answer your questions that way. Our email address is fit at mpbonline.org. Org. And I love getting your questions that way and being able to send you guys a lot more information than we sometimes get to talk about here uh, here on the show. So I'm happy to, to take those questions um, that way. Remember that you can uh, always go back and listen to an episode if you didn't hear it in its entirety or you want to hear it again, you can find us via podcast by searching for Southern Remedy anywhere you get your podcasts, whatever platform you use. And then remember that Southern Remedy Remedy is on every weekday at 11 with a different host and a different specialty. So I hope you'll tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.